Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast. But don't you step on my blue suede shoes because it distracts me from the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I want to thank Elvis Presley for writing that song about his favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. I'm John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling, and if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we'll give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast. Uh, very quickly, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, just search John McAdam and follow the guy with the Stick to Wrestling avatar, um, or logo, excuse me, as his avatar. If you want to have fun talking wrestling with a bunch of cool guys, join our Facebook page. Just uh, search Stick to Wrestling, it'll come right up and I will accept you. Um, before we get started... Boy, it's been another interesting week in the United States, hasn't it? And I'm just going to say one quick thing. It all could have been avoided. Enjoy the show, part two with Jim Valley, right now. All right, let me see. Rookie of the year. These always confuse me except for this year because rookie of the year in the, in the Observer is someone who's been in the business, I think, for like less than 18 months, whereas Pro Wrestling Illustrated, it's the guy's first push. But anyway. Who do you have for Rookie of the Year 1987, Jim Valley? Is that the Owen Hart year? Ah, uh, yes, it was. Yeah. I know that everybody picked Owen, but I'm going Big Bubba Rogers. Nah, okay, but Bubba was, hmm. All right, you know what? That You can do that because 1987 was his first full right. year. He did some wrestling in 1986, but... Not much. 87, no, not much. So we're 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 going with that. It was his first I think he real year. I think Owen Hart growing up in the business, being around him, I'm gonna factor some things in and I'm gonna pick Bubba because I think pretty impressive for what he did. I I mean I'm all over Bubba. If I was the booker of the NWA in nineteen eighty six, Starcade eighty six would have been Dusty Rhodes defending the NWA title against Big Bubba Rogers. That's how much I thought yeah. of him. Right out of the box with Hogan, he was great. He was. And, you know, from what I understand, he got he felt like he got stiffed on a payoff, and he just said, okay, I'm going to the WWF. And supposedly they went off course. They are like, you know, he was told, not by Vince McMahon, so I've heard, that, hey, they're going to put you on top right away with Hulk Hogan. You should come here. And he did. Rookie of the Year, to me, this was obvious. I mean, Brian Pillman, I got Calgary Stampede Wrestling, and Brian Pillman just jumped off the page. He was a real rookie, but, I mean, we, we all know Brian was a, a big wrestling fan. Uh, he was determined to get in the business and do his best, and, and he did. I mean, if I were running a promotion like JCP in 1987, I absolutely would have called Brian Pillman and, you know, brought him in. I agree. I agree 100%. I think he's very underrated in this time frame. And when he came in later to, uh, I guess, WCW, then, um, I thought he was going to be a signature star and be somebody that they would build around, sort of like Darby Allen today or one of those guys. But nope, didn't happen. But that in, the stuff he did in Calgary, underrated. Yeah, totally. And when he got to WCW, I mean, they gave him the rub. Ric Flair took a liking to him, so he would be out there doing interviews in 1989 with, with you know, alongside 
Ric Flair and Sting, and I thought, oh man, this guy's going to be doing big things, and it just, it just didn't happen, at least right away in WCW, the way it should have. Pretty much. All right, in The Observer, Brian Pillman won, in PWI, Owen Hart won, and let me see. All right, we go on to Most Underrated. Who do, well, who do you think was the most underrated wrestler in pro wrestling in 1987, Jim? You ready? Yeah, I Again, am. Again, you've got to talk about what does underrated mean. Yes. Does that mean they're a super good wrestler and nobody notices? What does, what does this mean? So finally, I made a decision, and I decided that underrated is someone that people don't give enough credit to for being able to draw and doing all that he did in 87. I'm going honky-tonk, man. Oh, wow. Right. Okay, yeah, well, no, I can see that because, I mean, in some ways... He's underappreciated. Like you said earlier, he was, draw- he was drawing money out. Exactly. One of the biggest okay. draws of that time frame. I look at most underrated as, why is this guy not getting a far bigger push? And with that in mind, Eddie Gilbert showed the world what he could do in 1985 and 1986. JCP, their heels were getting a little bit stale, and they really did nothing with Eddie Gilbert except, you know, have him be Terry Taylor's uh, sidekick, and we know, you know, that wasn't going to work out very well. I I thought they totally wasted Eddie Gilbert. Terry Taylor might come in a close second, but I I mean, like I said, Eddie showed what he could do, and Dusty just wasn't interested. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think Terry Taylor is, or uh, Eddie Gilbert is overrated. Wow. Okay. Let's hear Don't more. Don't get out the pitchforks. I know that this is not, not me. This is sacred. I'm sure all the people that listen to to the show. I think he did some good interviews at times. Absolutely. I'm not saying he's terrible by any means, but he was really small for the era. He was. He small. didn't draw a ton. Of money. And again, he felt indulgent to me. I'm not saying he's awful by any means, but I don't put him on this pedestal that everybody else seems to do for some reason. Okay, if if we're going to talk to the pedestal people, I will tell you that the last few years of Eddie Gilbert's career were absolutely awful. I mean, he was awful. Um, that whole King of Philadelphia thing where that he did in ECW and he built the, the entire show around himself as Booker. I mean, he could still wrestle. Um, and then he shows up at Smoky Mountain Wrestling and it was like, you know, all of the charisma, all of the fire was gone and Eddie was gone pretty soon off to Puerto Rico. And I know, I, I know that Jim Cornette, I know, had to be talked into giving Eddie Gilbert a shot, and you know, Brian, Brian Hildebrand told me that, you know, he basically talked Jim into giving Eddie a chance, and Jim kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, he he didn't put all his eggs in one basket, it was Eddie Gilbert teaming with a, a guy named Unibom, and what do you know, Jim was smarter than everybody, you know, Eddie was conspicuous by his absence in Smoky Mountain, and he was gone in less than a month. And they brought in Al Snow, and and trading 
Eddie Gilbert for Al Snow was one of the best things that Smoky Mountain Wrestling ever did. And to me, it was a, a sad demise. But I thought, for the most part, Eddie's career, like 1992 forward, was kind of... It was, it was sad to watch. Well, look, Donna Summer is my girl. She's a legend. I wish she was still with us. But coming out to disco in the year 1987 was not cool. That's what a heel does, though. No, it's, go away. <laughs> okay, we see it differently. I thought it was great that, uh, that in 1987, Eddie blew the dust but off this record. But he also came out as a from... baby face with that song. Oh, uh, that's a good point. That is a good point. But by then, it was his trademark, though. I thought I was tired. <laughs> okay. As a kid. No, you, you're, I can see that. You know, you, you're... And, you know, when you're younger... I mean, time goes by much more slowly, and, you know, I hear hot stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this was on when I was in eighth grade, but I thought for, for a heel, it was, it was a good, good little anthem. Okay. Ah, uh, let me see. Most underrated in The Observer. And by the way, this surprised me. I looked. I'm like, I'm thinking Eddie Gilbert's going to finish. He's either going to win it or he's going to finish high. He finished in 10th, so I guess not everyone agrees with me. The winner of most underrated in The Observer was Brad Armstrong, who in 1987 supposedly had some great matches with Ric Flair, but, you know, Brad, I'm sorry, I never saw him as a main eventer. I never said, wow, they should be doing so much more with him. I know he was great in the ring, but he just, he didn't have it on the mic, and he just didn't have a lot of charisma. Everything you just said goes double for me. Okay. Yeah, and like I'm not saying he was a he was a great worker, but that's not enough, especially in 1987. I don't want to say just moves. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay, most overrated. Now, before we get to that, remember, overrated doesn't mean you suck. It means that basically in wrestling, you're getting a push that you're not supposed to be getting. People are looking at you and saying, "Okay, why are they picking this guy?" I know the answer why they picked this guy, but why did you? Why did who do you have as most overrated? In 1987. Yep. You have to understand that 1987, we've had nationwide cable for several years now. And many of these people have been on cable a long time and were tired. And I, don't, I just kept coming back, even though technically he picked himself. I'm going with Dusty at 97. I mean, to me, Dusty is, I mean, by the end of 1987, enough was yeah. enough. I, I, I mean, I get why he got the push he got, because Dusty Rhodes, the, 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 the booker, wanted Dusty Rhodes, the wrestler, on top. But the day had come and gone. It was time for him to step back and either be kind of the, the mentor Dusty or a comedy figure or something like that. And he wasn't even close to grooming somebody as the new number one. As a booker, you've got to, you've got to do that. And Dusty just did well. Then again, I take that back. They were grooming Lex Luger for the top spot. But I mean, by the end, you know, I mean, Dusty just caught, overpushed him. He overpushed himself in '85 a little bit. In '86, okay, he's overpushing himself. But now in '87, it's over the it top. It was time to stop. I mean, but not only that. It was like Poochie on The Simpsons because everybody, when Dusty wasn't on camera, was asking, where's Dusty? What's going on with Dusty? 
every interview mentioned Dusty. He was Dusty Dusty. You're like, everywhere. Oh, look, there's Dusty. And it just, it just got, I didn't hate Dusty, but he just didn't excite me anymore. No. And, I mean, I know he's a legend. and He, he is. Treated himself as a like a retiring legend, like giving himself, you know, not doing jobs for people, but not being, in, you know, on top of the card like he was. He should have stepped um, back, let us kind of mm-hmm. miss him a little bit, do some under stuff, put a couple other people on top, and then probably not in a couple of years or whatever, he could be back on top again. But he didn't do that. Nah, that that Dusty wasn't cut from that cloth, man. No way. In real life, Dusty won it in The Observer, and this blew my mind. Number two was Hulk Hogan. How can anyone in 1987 say Hulk Hogan was under, was overrated? My God! The only way you could say it is if you were a heel and it was a kayfabe situation. But that's it. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, that to me, that is just not realistic. It, you know, why are you pushing Hulk Hogan so hard? Yeah. Uh, I don't He's know. Making money. Anyway, <laughs> He's making more money than anyone previously in the history this of the big business. house I bought because of it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Vince McMahon is worth, you know, $6 billion because he, it, 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 the first step was pushing Hulk Hogan. But anyway. Most improved from 1986 to 1987. We have uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and The Observer coming into this. Jim, what did you, who'd you go you with? You know, I thought that if you go back in, in, you go watch Florida in 85 and 86, he's a completely different person and a different wrestler. I went with Luger. I can see Lex Luger. I mean... It, you know, not to insult Lex or anything, but, I mean, he was so bad in 1985. And he's got a weird and accent. True, and he, he's from, what, Tampa? How weird can I accent can you it's have? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, you know, he he got way better in 1987 only because he was so bad in 1986. I can totally it see that. It was not unlike Batista in Evolution when Luger... Join the horsemen. And it was a great angle that they did that, you know, Luger shows up on WTBS. We think he's a baby face, but he's like, hey, I'm here for one reason. I'm here to be one of the four horsemen. And it's like, whoa. And he groomed <laughs> him, and it was great. Yeah, some of it was great. I mean, he definitely had an excellent... I, I thought Lex Luger was excellent in the late 80s. Was he always great in the ring? No, yeah. but he had a presence and, and a look, and his interviews... Got to the point where they were good in like 88, 89. Yeah, he's most improved. He went from a very low point. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and that makes sense. You're right. He did start at a very low point. Both The Observer and Pro Wrestling Illustrated, for two totally different reasons, went with Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning has a reputation as being just a great, great worker, and he was, but he didn't come out of the box a great worker. If you go back, and look at some of his work from the WWF in like 81, 82 when he first started there, or even Portland in like 84, he was not very good. But once again, the point is he got better, he improved, and by the by the end of 87, you're like, wow, Kurt Henning is really good in the ring, and of course, 
He won the AWA title May 2nd, 1987. So that's how he got it in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Plus, of course, he's willing to take a picture. You ready? Yes. I didn't think Kurt Henning was that great until he became Mr. Perfect. And I saw him in 1980 as pretty much a rookie in Portland. So I've seen almost all of Kurt Hennig's career. And he was just this skinny, smiley, boring kid. And yeah, he turned heel in 87, but cool Kurt Hennig in that time frame as a kid didn't do it for me yet. No, I I can see that. I mean, he had good matches, but he was still working on his persona. You could tell. I'm coming after all of the golden gooses, aren't I? No, it's okay. I, I, you know, one thing I didn't like about Kurt Henning, and I can apply this to Shawn Michaels too. People were like, "Oh my God, he took such great bumps." They were cartoonish bumps. Yeah, you could even say, you know, when Hulk just—it's not eighty-seven, but as an example, you know, Kurt Henning was the only guy who flipped for Hogan's clothesline. The clothesline was what more powerful because of Kurt Henning. Why did that happen? Yeah, no, it's cartoony. I, 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 Doesn't make sense. I've always looked at it that way. Like, why are you the only one spinning around in the air from a clothesline that, you know, everyone else just falls on their back from? Uh, but anyway, yeah, you and I uh, crushing up sacred cows out here I'm today. a big fan of yours, John. What can I say? <laughs> All right. Feud of the year. What was your best feud of 1987, Jim? What choice do you have? You got it. There's one. Hogan Andre. That's it. What what else are you going to pick? Well, and you can definitely... Okay, okay, there's one other one, I guess. That's fair. You see, Hogan and Andre, you know what? The more I think about it, the more I probably should have gone with Hogan and Andre. Um, I mean, it was was a bit... If if it's feud of the year, then it's definitely Hogan and Andre. If if it's best feud of the year, you could still argue... Andre versus Hogan, because it, it drew like crazy, and it was interesting. You can't say it wasn't. Right, if it wasn't so legendary, and so iconic, and blah, 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 blah. Um, you could then go with Lawler versus Idol at Ranch. Um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I, you see, uh, okay, feud of the year, Hogan-Andre, my favorite feud of the year was Jerry Lawler, and various partners, Bill Dundee, Bam Bam Bigelow, etc., against Austin Idol and Tommy Rich. I mean, just epic television every week. Paulie Dangerously, or they called him Paul Paulie Dangerly in Memphis, did a great job as their manager. I mean, it was just epic television and just shocking when Jerry Lawler, after all those years, finally got his head shaved, or at least some of his head shaved. You know, someone on YouTube put the whole feud together in like an hour and a half or something. I'm not sure. But if you go and watch that and just watch the first interview done with Tommy Rich, with how the whole thing begins where he's a good guy and he just finds out apparently when he's out there and walking out to the interview, that Jerry Lawler's getting another world title shot and he's not. And he's just naturally irritated and it's, Brilliant. No one would think Tommy Rich has that depth, but it's great and it's underrated. T- 
Tommy Rich was phenomenal in that feud. I mean, he came across as just such a bizarre guy. He, I mean, he'd always, he'd always dyed his hair, but now he's dying his eyebrows blonde. Wow. And Paulie, once I can't praise him enough in this feud. Same thing with Austin Idol. He came across as a totally despicable person. And yeah, Tommy, you know, Tommy Rich turning heel. Wow, it was unthinkable for me. Yeah, it was great. And it was, again, all of it made sense episodically. And it was, it, you can't, you can't praise it enough, I don't think. It drew. So there you go. Okay, in The Observer, Lawler versus Idol and Rich won it, which I, I was very surprised by. I mean, looking back, I just didn't remember who won. And I was like, okay, I want, you know, I had no idea, and like I, apparently a lot of people, once again, were watching Memphis. In Pro Wrestling Illustrated, this is nothing short of bizarre. The feud of the year was the Four Horsemen against Dusty Rhodes, the Key to Koloff, and the Road Warriors. That's not even a feud. Well, you're sort of giving credence to and paying homage to the uh, War Games. That's sort of what that is, I guess. I think it's very much what it is. I mean... And plus, you know, let's be honest, they're going to give as many awards to the NWA as possible, once again, because the guys will pose with the plaques. It was great. Pro Wrestling Match of the Year. This one I struggled with, Jim, because there was a match that I thought was just phenomenal, one of the best matches of the decade in the United States, and I still didn't go with it. But let me get yours first. What was Pro Wrestling Match of you know, the Year we for we really you? should get together and figure out what this means. Or is that the beauty of this? I can't decide. I, I think this is the beauty okay. of it. I feel like I <laughs> suck at these shows because I'm so, no. I'm so indecisive. What am I going to do? Not that anyone even cares if I, if I take a long time, but I guess, you know, it's like I don't want to pick... Hogan and Andre, but it seems unfair otherwise. But it's like, it's my worst match, but it's also the best, which sort of also demonstrates my dichotomy of these stupid shows. Not your show. Your show is great. No, I, I'm, I'm doing the same. I, I do the same thing. Is it, you know, was it the best match of the year? No. Was it wrestling match of the decade? Maybe even wrestling match of the century? Yeah, even though it wasn't a good match. You can't not acknowledge it. Well, anyway, but for best pro wrestling match of the year, who did you, who did you go I mean, with? Again, you could go with Steamboat and Savage because of what it did. Again, these are things I don't want to do this. I want to go do and choose something else. But it's significant enough where I feel like I'm cheating if I don't. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. I did the exact same thing. The best pro wrestling match of the year, in my opinion, in the United States, Canada, was Ric Flair versus Barry Windham on NWA Worldwide in January. No, I'm not going to dispute. Technically, that was a great match. But what was the significance? And that's why I ultimately... Match of the year, combining both, I went with Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage. It was a great match, and it was on WrestleMania. It was not as good as Flair Wyndham, but it was on WrestleMania three, and it was a solid, easily four and a quarter, four and a half stars. Savage is so underrated. Savage is funny. He's such a character. I think people 
focus on that and not the the genius and the method to his madness. So, yeah, Savage was smart. I mean, I would go see him at a spot show, like in you know Manchester, New Hampshire, or whatever, and he wouldn't do a thing. I mean, he would just, he would just have bad matches. I saw him have a a really bad match at the at the Providence Civic Center. But when it was WrestleMania time, Randy knew it was time to go. And this guy drug a good match, a really good match, out of the Ultimate Warrior. He's amazing. He doesn't get enough credit. No, he, I, I, he doesn't. And like I said, you know, he, about ooh, 20, 25 years ago, I made a tape of, you know, the best of Randy Savage. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, this guy was so good. And he's forgotten because... Or he's not as well thought of because at the time he was in WCW, you know, wrapping up his career. He was uh, selling tickets in 88 as WWF champ. And I am under the impression and the opinion he's the guy he should have had a longer run as a babyface champion before they turned him. Uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respectfully disagree with you because if you have to pick between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage as your WWF champion, you have to go with Hulk Hogan. I mean, they put the belt on Savage because Hogan was away filming No Holds Barred. To me, as soon as he's as soon as he's available, you gotta bring you gotta put the belt back on I'm him. I'm fine with that, but I think you could have two separate shows touring, one with Hogan, one with Savage. And they did that yeah. for a while. When Hogan came back in late summer '88. Uh, I mean, they were doing what you know Vince McMahon had wanted to do for quite some time, is have two big stars in his main event, Hulk Hogan on one show and Randy, you know, WWF champion Randy Savage on the other. And let's face it, you know, Savage needed the belt more to draw than Hulk Hogan did. Yeah, and he did draw. Okay, best weekly TV show. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to do this. In pre-WI, Savage versus Steamboat got a uh, match of the year. And in the Observer, Randy Savage versus... Oh, wow, it was Steamboat and Savage for both the Observer and PWI. That surprises me a little bit. All right, best weekly television show. It, ha- it can't be Japan. <laughs> if it was, it would be All Japan Pro Wrestling, but we'd, we're not doing that. Actually, it'd be New Japan for me. What was your pick, Jim? I think you got to pick Memphis. Things happened. On Memphis TV. That's, I think you got to go with that. Memphis, you know, I, I, I always have a funny relationship with Memphis TV. It gets old quickly with me. I enjoy it. I'll, like, you know, go back and look at stuff from 87, and I'll enjoy, like, the first five or six months. And then after that, it's like, okay, I've seen this all already. You know, they, they do too many run-ins. I mean, that's it. Too many run-ins, you know, a lot of interviews. But you're right, it keeps moving. And the beginning of the year, once again, we had that fantastic feud with Idol and Rich both turning on Lawler separately. So, yeah, I'm going Memphis uh, Best TV, and that's what won it in the Observer. I'm not surprised. Um, From a nationwide standpoint, I mean, I didn't have Memphis to watch in 1987. So for me, it's got to be the 605 show. Uh, as far as like the major promotions, yeah, I think the the 605 World Championship Wrestling was the best. Uh, slightly better 
than worldwide wrestling and certainly better than any of the WWF programs. But I enjoyed it all back then. Same here. I, I knew it was different and I liked the NWA better, but I still went to WWF shows. I still watched all of their television. Now I hate everything. <laughs> I hope Tony Khan didn't hear that. I love Tony right. Khan, unlike you. <laughs> unlike you. I love Tony you Khan. I, I tell I tell Tony Khan stories on this I'm show. I know. All right. Uh, look, okay. Uh, best we okay. So it it was Memphis. The non Japan shows in the Observer. Memphis won it. All right. Promotion of the year. Both Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the Observer do this. What do you have for promotion of the year, Jim? This is a tough one. Again, how do you see this? If you're looking at just overall, it is WWF. But, again, God, we spent so much time on this. Because Lawler and Idol overachieved and actually was a huge drawing feud. For so, you know, for 87, when everybody else was dying, do you award it because of that? I don't know. I'm going to go with WWF. I don't want to, but I will. I, I don't want to, but I will go with WWF. And that's what promotion won it in the Observer. I mean, they, I mean, they peaked. They had WrestleMania three. They had the Survivor Series. They drew big with Hulk Hogan versus Harley Race during the summer. You know, they had the best, the best production. You didn't look at the WWF like you did the NWA and just say, "Oh my God, they're making so many mistakes. What's going on here?" I had to go with WWF. Hey, you know what? I may want to revise. Something. Ah. I'm not sure. I'm, you uh, reminded me of something. Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll Revisionist may, Jim, may, go oh, ahead. I want to oh, hear I, this. Let me, let, me, let me think about it. But may I later? Uh, okay. Of course. Jump in whenever you're ready. All right. Go ahead. All right. Um, best on interviews. Right. Uh, this is an Observer Award only. Who did you go with? Look, it all comes back to how successful are the interviews. You can say, I like this person, but you may not like that person. Who's giving great interviews and who is drawing? I say Jerry Lawler. I went with Jerry Lawler. Look at us. <laughs> we're geniuses. Well, we're not everyone agrees with us because they, uh, they didn't have this in, the, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but the Observer... Gave it to Jim Cornette, and they by a big margin, which surprises me. But Lawler, I thought, was fantastic as not only you know just doing interviews that were interesting to listen to, but he made you want to, want to go to the match. And he has so much variety in what he does. He can do comedy. He can be angry. He can just talk normal, which a lot of wrestlers cannot do. Whatever the the mood is. Jerry finds the right tone and verbiage. That is an excellent point. Some of some of the best wrestlers, you know, who do great interviews, only do the same interview over and over again. Lawler had, you know, could had many gears that he could rely on. You know, one thing, Magnum TA. I, I mean, people, you know, I've I've said this on the show before. People are like, you know, oh man, he would have had such a great career. I think the the arrow was pointed down on him. He was on the wrong side of the mountain because 
Magnum could only do one interview. Look at the camera and start screaming. And I think people, I think people were already getting tired of that. Lawler, on the other hand, was on Memphis TV for decades, and he because he could do different stuff. That's fair. The one thing about Lawler, I will say, I don't understand how he can be so good at so much, but his podcast, none of that transfers, and I don't know why. You know what? I I can't tell you. I tr- believe it or not, I have a rule like. Three days before we record, I will not listen to any podcast because I don't want to sound like anybody else. And I, and I will. If I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast today, I'd be out here sounding like I was from Kentucky. I, I, I do that. And I've never heard Lawler's podcast before. And just, it just, you're saying it's not well, that good. it just good. doesn't really – you don't get any insight. I'm like, these guys, this guy has given so many brilliant performances – and so many genius things in wrestling. And I guess he's just one of those great players who can't coach, for an analogy. You know, and another thing about Lawler, I was greatly disappointed, and we're going back almost 20 years now, by his book. I was really looking forward to it. I'm a huge Jerry Lawler fan, and I'm reading along, and it never really got good. And in the end, it was kind of a disaster with him. You know, I think he was like 50-something years old at the time, trying to ch- chase around like girls who were 1920. And it's like, not recommended. And I'm sorry, I'm a huge Jerry Lawler fan, but the book stunk. Yeah, there's just, for some reason, there's a disconnect where you don't get that. So, Yeah, he he was a great wrestler, great at the mic, but not good at books, and apparently not good at podcasts either. All right, Tag Team of the Year. This is for both. Who did you go with, Jim? I went with the Express. That's easy. They shouldn't have succeeded, and they did. With that kind of change, they were a major act before. They even went to better heights with Stan Lane. I don't know what else you can say. Sometimes you got to go obvious. Yeah, then that's who I went with, and that's what the Observer went with. I mean, just... You know, Eaton and Lane, it should be Eaton and Condry, were a great tag team. But, you know, I've said this before, Stan Lane just brought that extra something to the party. It's like, okay, we are a major league act now. We are not, you know, two southern journeymen who are really good in the ring. Like, Stan just brought the pizzazz. He was great. No, it it made the act better, and it also made it, like I said, more cosmetically digestible for Cable. Yes, and in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the Road Warriors won it, and I get that. From a kayfabe perspective, the Road Warriors were just in a a different league than everybody else. From a kayfabe standpoint, I was a huge Road Warrior fan like so many kids in the 80s. But when you're a kid, they're so awesome. They devastate everybody. When are they going to win those world titles? And it was just frustrating because you're starting to doubt your heroes because they haven't done it yet and they're so impressive and imposing they should have done it by now what's wrong even before i started getting the newsletters even you know before you know i was a little bit smartened up to the business i kind of got the road warriors not winning the titles because it was almost like they were above the tag team championships. It was, you know, like they transcended 
that division, even though they were a tag team, if that makes any I sense. I had the frustration standpoint. I, would, I didn't feel that. All right. Let me see. Most outstanding wrestler. Uh, this is, I'm did reading we, this. Well, you know did what? Did we do worst tag team already? Yes, we okay. did. The Bolsheviks. Oh, that's right. All Something, right. I had a Vietnam flashback. <laughs> I didn't know you fought in Vietnam. Okay. One of my least favorite acts. I loved wrestling as a kid. And I wanted wrestling to be popular. I talked about my stupid theories of what it could do. And when I saw wrestlers who looked awful, cosmetically or whatever, on TV, I was like, get them off television. They're ruining the sport. No one's going to watch them. And those people are the rock and roll RPMs. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I would call them a dollar store, but that would be insulting to dollar stores. I don't know what to call them. They looked terrible. They talked terrible. I don't know what this idea was. Their tights were faded. Their hair was awful. It just was eh, the worst. I forgot about them for a reason. Now I'm going to have nightmares. Thank you. It was like the Rock and Roll Express, who were small enough, getting scurvy <laughs> and just their bo- having their bodies collapse. I mean, I-, I remember them getting a little bit of a push in JCP before the Rock and Roll Express arrived, and it was like they really should have had just a TV match between those two where the Rock and Roll Express just clown those guys. If you were watching wrestling and the RPMs were on your television, that promotion was in trouble. Because if that's the best talent you could find, you're done. Yeah, and you know, I've always heard Mike Davis and Tommy Lane were good guys, but that that doesn't make you star pro wrestler, man. <laughs> you're you're right. I mean, it just it looked awful and not even dollars. There you go. Most outstanding wrestler, who did you go with, Jim? So again, what is the total what is this? Best This is best, best wrestler, the, best guy best in the ring. In the ring. Yep. I went with a guy who I think is underrated in that regard. And also, I went with drawing as well. I think you've got to have a level of drawing power. I don't think you can pick, for just for example, a Brad Armstrong for this. I think there are components. And when I look at those components, I went with Randy Savage. Oh, wow. And I could see that. The more I think about it. He he and Ricky Steamboat were, were so much better than everyone else in the WWF. This time period, 86, 87-ish to, I don't know, 90 maybe, is peak Randy Savage. Okay. I didn't go with, I didn't, didn't really consider Randy Savage, even though I, I probably should have. I went with Ric Flair a hair ahead of Barry Windham. And that, that t- speaks volumes about how good Barry Windham was in the ring in 1987. And yeah, he got a major league push. He had a bad match at Starcade against Steve Williams, but that was like more of the script that he was being given. Barry, you know, if it's January 1st, 1988, I am sitting here, you know, looking at Barry Windham as a guy who is about to break out, and I was absolutely right. Barry broke out in 88. Flair is talented and was giving Flair performances. This is a peak physical year for Flair. However, this is where he lost points with me for 1987. 87, the war games. 
87 was not really, he didn't get really featured that much. Starcade, Ronnie Garvin. I mean, he performed up to his level, but not classic Ric Flair stuff to be featured in. He did his part, though. Yeah, I mean, he had really good matches with yes. Barry Windham to open the year, like January through, I want to say May. And then you're right, then we get into the war games and the whole Starcade storyline. But like I said, inside the ropes, I don't think there was anyone better than Absolutely. Ric Flair in North America in 1987. Now, in real life, Ric Flair won this in The Observer. Barry Windham finished in sixth, which surprised me. But what really surprised me is Owen Hart finishing second. And as good as Owen Hart was in 1987, I would not have him anywhere near that high. He was all over the magazines. As, as this rookie sensation, as amazing. And then, you know, I didn't have Calgary TV, obviously. So years later, you go back and watch, and, you know, there's seven people in the crowd. Or what. I'm exaggerating, but... No, I mean, he was very talented, but it wasn't like that promotion was super hot. No, it wasn't. And, you know, more than that, though, I mean, keeping it strictly to, uh, you know, best in the ring... But, oh, by the way, and I, I took out the Japanese wrestlers. Uh, there may have been someone in, in front of Owen, I just don't remember, but... Owen being the second best in North America, I'm sorry. I mean, Ricky Steamboat is still out there. Barry Windham, Randy Savage, just to name a Tully Blanchard, just to name a you few. Know, Barry Windham breaks my heart. Because you look at... Yeah, same here. 87 is peak Barry Windham. This is it. After this, whatever. This is peak Barry Windham. And it's like, we don't have a crystal ball. You think, oh my God, this guy is going to... Keep on this trajectory, and this is going to be amazing. And then he gets fat, and you're just like, it's sad. And he wins the NWA title. Everyone talked about him as a future NWA champion, but it was like the ghost of the NWA. It, was, it really didn't mean anything. No, it didn't. I thought 1988 was peak Barry Windham when he turned heel... And he showed everyone that, hey, I can do this and do this well. He looked to me like, okay, we have found Ric Flair's eventual replacement. I, I mean, I, I thought the next year was the year he peaked. Not that he wasn't great in 87. He was so smooth. I loved Barry Windham. He broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, I remember him going to the WWF and thinking, okay, you know, Hulk Hogan might have his next WrestleMania opponent. And from the get-go, it was apparent that they were not interested in pushing Barry Windham for whatever reason, because he met the WWF's uh, size parameters. I mean, I remember watching primetime wrestling and seeing him go to a draw with Tito Santana, who was no longer being pushed, and just, you know, it, it, it hitting me that, oh my god, they're, they're not going to do anything with this guy, and pretty soon he was gone, and peak Barry Windham was over. You're right, breaks my heart, Sad. And now we go for the ultimate award, Wrestler of the Year. Both the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and PWI obviously had this one. Jim, 1987, Wrestler of the Year. Who can't you got? ignore it, Hulk Hogan. Um, you can't. I mean, he drew like nobody else in the history of modern wrestling drew. He's, I mean, I would be contrarian to not acknowledge it. This is peak Hulk Hogan again. 
the sight of WrestleMania, no matter how many people there, still impressive. He drew with Orndorff that same similar number the year before. You can't deny him. Okay, in the Observer, Ric Flair won it. I went with Ric Flair using the Observer parameters, and I went with Hulk Hogan using Pro Wrestling Illustrated parameters. Actually, I just told you guys a lie. Ricky Choshu won it in the Observer, but we're not counting that, so Ric Flair was the highest-ranking uh, United States-ranked wrestler, and Choshu had a big 1987, but that's just kind of not our audience. No, Flair, I said, was great. I just don't know how well he was featured. He, I, I thought in 1987, he was. they started to use him incorrectly. I thought they... Used him correctly in 85 and 86 and 87. They just kind of started dropping the ball on Ric Flair. You know, let's talk a little bit about Ronnie Garvin as NWA champion. It was a horrible decision, or at least it was horribly executed. And what they needed to do... Let me start here. Dusty had a year, at least, to figure out what Starcade 87 was going to be. It's not have come across as, uh, oh man, it's in three months, what am I going to do? If he was going to have Ronnie Garvin win the title from Ric Flair, he needed to step up and establish Ronnie Garvin as a top guy, uh, rebounding from his loss at Starcade 86 to Big Bubba Rogers, which they never did. They just threw the title on him. That's why it was bad. I got Cable in, I think, 83. And so I got Georgia Wrestling. And that was the first time... I'd seen Ronnie Garvin. I loved him as TV champion, Jake Roberts, all that stuff. Anyway, I loved Ronnie Garvin, but it just kind of felt like in JCP, he was featured and he won, but he was never anything significant because he was in Dusty Shadow. He was always spinning his wheels. If he was going to win it, he should have won it years or at least a year Earlier, it just felt reheated in 1987. Give him a a new finishing maneuver. Have him win, I I mean, maybe not the United States title. I know they wanted that on Luger, but they had like 400 titles. They couldn't just give him one. Give him the TV title. And then as TV champion, have him beat Ric Flair and surrender the TV championship. I mean, they they just, you know... It wasn't his fault. They just kind of threw him in the water, and wow, it didn't work. Yeah, it wasn't great. You know something? I want to make one addendum, something we have not talked about. I would like a second match of the year, if I may. Okay. Survive. I got and two. And that is Survivor Series. That was a great I'm match. Not, it's the most historically significant match, because it bumped JCP and Starcade, and without that move... Who knows what wrestling would have been? No, it was that big because JCP was counting on that pay-per-view Starcade money. Vince McMahon uh, grossed $17 million for WrestleMania. Crockett was must have been saying, okay, well, I can probably gross about... If I gross half of that, I'm in great shape. And he didn't see, barely saw anything. He All he got was the Chicago Live Gate, and that was the beginning of the end for yeah, JCP. that was a domino that just knocked everything down. I, I've always said that, you know, Starcade 87 was was JCP getting shot in the stomach, and 1988 was them just bleeding to death because yes. of it. Very, you can't, you can't uh, discount it. It's the significance. 
You know, I am glad we have a little bit of time remaining because uh, Jim and I have gone back and forth on this, you know, talking on Facebook or whatever. Don Owen, as a Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer, you've expressed interest in, in making his case. First you insult Tony Khan and now me. Sheesh. I'm on a roll. What am I putting up with this for? No. Um, He's put up with two hours of this, no ladies and kidding. gentlemen. If I would have known that, I might have prepared. Anyway, look, Dono, and if you don't think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, I'm fine with it. I think he does in the level. Who's done what he did longer? He created or, or took a role in creating these characters. He didn't tell me you're going to do this to me, John. And I also think there's significance. I, I thought you lived for this. Yeah, but it's also at the end of the show. I'm tired. <laughs> Why doesn't he belong? Okay, first of all, I, I love Hall of Fames. I, I love the Baseball Hall of Fame. I love the Observer Hall of Fame. I love the Football Hall of Fame. No matter who we're discussing, I feel it is on the the candidate to demonstrate why he belongs in, not like why doesn't he belong in. But I, I will indulge you. My feeling is that there are too many promoters from the 80s in the Hall of Fame. We have Vince McMahon. We now have Jim Crockett, who I would not have voted for. Bill Watts is in, maybe not as a promoter, but he's in. Eddie Graham, maybe not as a promoter, well, as a promoter, but he's in. I mean, Fritz von Erich, maybe not as a promoter, but he's in. I mean, who who did uh, Jerry Jar- Jerry Jarrett's in? Um, you know, someone's got to not be in. The next guy who's not in is like Joe Blanchard or Bob Geigel. I, to me, they just can't all be in. But so they let me are. tell you a story. As you as I've all demonstrated right. in this past two hours, I'm very indecisive at times, and guilty. So. After I advocated for Don, I went to Dave, and I said, Dave, do you want me to do this? If you, if you tell me to pull back, I will pull back because my relationship with you is much more important than Don getting into any invisible Hall of Fame. And he said, no, Jim, it doesn't bother me at all. So I continued to advocate for Don. And then Don got in, and for some reason... Just coincidence, I guess. I hadn't talked to Dave, and I'm like, oh, my God, Dave's mad at me. So I text Dave. I'm like, are we still cool? He's like, yes, <laughs> we're cool. <laughs> this happened. I'm a wreck, John. Anyway, look. he. I don't think I've ever seen Dave no, mad. He's not. He's, he is the coolest. And I love Dave, and I'm very protective of Dave, but he's been doing this before he met me. He doesn't. Doesn't need my help, but anyway, Dave texted me and said that Don Owen used to get votes from Nick Bockwinkle, and uh, if I can find the text, who else? It's Jerry Br- the Briscoes. Briscoes voted for him. So wow. I was like, you know something? If those guys voted for him, and then somebody else who's no longer with us, maybe Pepper Martiners, I forget who, but a bunch of big-time old old-timers Bockwinkle was one of them. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine with it then. I mean, I as much as I respect, you know, Bockwinkle and the Briscoes, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm, no, okay. I, I can't That's see fine. someone else's you vote, just, you know, kind of riding on that. You just more than Nick Bockwinkle. That's fine. That's fine, Joe. 
<laughs> you know what? May, maybe I do, and I'll, I'll back that up. I, I know more than some wrestlers. I know that because a lot of wrestlers, they just go to their town, do what they need to do, and go home, and then they don't study the business, and that's fine. They keep their eyes on their own paper, whereas guys like you and I, uh, pardon the pun, observe what's going on. Look at me. I'm Mr. Smarter than Nick Bockwinkle, John McAdam. Not smarter, but perhaps indeed more knowledgeable. I, I hear that you're a humanoid. That's what I heard from him. <laughs> a ham and right. egg. No, but Jim, if you don't is... agree with Donna when I'm fine with it. But you know, I don't, he's in. It's done. Yeah, and you're you're a hundred percent right. He's in. It's done. Me and um, voted for. <laughs> but well, anyway, I mean, you know, like I, I, I know I probably piss a lot of people off because I am a small Hall of Fame guy. You know, usually if someone gets in the Baseball Hall of Fame and it's been on the ballot for 10 years, I'm like, why? He didn't do enough. But that's just the way I look. Am, I yeah. wanted something from Portland to get in. He's the only pure Portland thing that had a shot. There it was. Uh, you know what? I can see that. You're right. What, uh, what else from Portland, which had been around for 80 years, I want to say? Oh, wait a minute. You have Roddy Piper. That's not Portland. That's everything else. He was in. I mean, okay. if you're talking about guys who came through Portland, that's a million of them. Yeah. There's a hundred guys. No, everyone either back in the day either came through Portland or Memphis. And I, I don't get me wrong. I, I acknowledge that it was a very important territory for guys who are looking for their first break. I mean, I, I could list, list dozens of guys who went on to be huge successes that started off in Portland. Yeah, and it was very entertaining television. I wish I wish there was more of it out there. Same here. Jim, it had been too long since I had had you on the show. I thought you did a, an excellent job. I thought we had a great topic for us to bounce back and forth on. Thank you for taking now, John, the time. John, I sincerely love your show. I listen every week. It's like the old wrestling magazines in audio form. It always takes me back. And it's so fun for me in the sense that as a kid, I watched wrestling alone. And back then, you know, it was like a secret club. You didn't want people to know you watched wrestling. You you watched no. that fake stuff. So it's like, you know, you'd do it in a dark room with the door shut. You know, are you reading wrestling magazines? No, Mom, it's Playboy. I was looking. <laughs> I'm exploring my body. I'm not reading wrestling. Anyway, so it's so fun now, somewhere, however many years later, to see that there were people out there who had the same experience as the shit, same shared experience I had. I will, I'll tell you, I'll tell this one little story and then I'll let everybody go. I had a girlfriend for the first time in 1979, and I knew she was coming over, and I hid the wrestling magazines, and I'm glad I did. My now wife, when we started dating, we would never, I told her, I can't see you Mondays. And I didn't say why. And then one year... She didn't ask? I didn't tell her. Okay. And then one year, her birthday was on a Monday, so we had to do something on a Monday. But eventually, I came clean... She's like, oh, that's it? I thought you had, like, a parole officer or something. <laughs> I'm the bad boy, John. I'm the bad boy. Uh, so what, what did you do? Did you, did you go to the sports arena? Um, they came to my local high school. Oh, okay. All right. Where, and where was uh, that? I lived in Centralia, Washington. 
But the wrestling. Okay, and they came every Monday night. Wrestling came to about three or four times a year, probably. I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks for the extra info, Jim. Uh, It's been too long. Thank you for coming back. (laughs) Anytime, indeed. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank uh, Brian Lass for giving me this platform. I want to thank Lou Kippelman, who makes this show sound way better than it deserves. And this has been a product of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week. This concludes our podcast day.